This message is provided by Bridgeway Community Church. Thanks for tuning in. Well, good morning and happy Easter, Bridgeway. It is so good to see you here today, have you a part of our Easter celebration. I got to tell you, uh, my name is Pastor Ron. If you're new or visiting with us, it has just been an incredible weekend in the life of our church between the Good Friday service that we had and then yesterday, pancakes were flying at our free community breakfast. And then get this, um, I just got told that at our kids' Easter egg hunt yesterday, you won't believe this, we had set out 4,500 Easter eggs for the kids. They were gone in record time, under two minutes. New world record here at Bridgeway. So it's just been a great Easter as a church and as a community. i got to ask you to do me a big favor. We've had so many people serving and volunteering this weekend, and especially today. Could you put your hands together and just thank all of those who made this weekend possible? So, so good. And now it's Easter, the greatest day in all of human history. In fact, I just, I want to dive in this morning, but before I do, I just want to say a quick word uh, to anyone you hear is, is maybe it's your first time at Bridgeway, or maybe it's, it's your first time to church in a really long time. And I, I got to just tell you, I'm so glad that you're here this morning. In fact, you might feel a lot like that video. You might feel like you've been rushing all morning. You might feel like you were kind of like destined not to be here. Maybe you wanted to be like the old guy in the video, stay at home and watch the masters this morning. And yet you came through those doors and and you didn't know what to expect. Maybe you're, you're dealing with something. You're dealing with what we call life. Maybe you have concerns that are, are health related or you've got concerns in your marriage or health issues and you came through those doors. And again, we're just so glad that you're here today. And you might be here this morning thinking, well, you know, church and, and all of that, that's for people who've got it all together. I want to tell you this morning that the very first Easter did not come to people who were happy and well-dressed and all put together. But Easter did come for that first group of people, for people who were ready and willing to have God work in their hearts. And that's why I'm so glad you're here. And that's why I want to talk about why Easter is death-defeated. This is the greatest news ever. In fact, you can study all the other world religions. I I have, and I can tell you, every religion will tell you the same thing. And this shouldn't be a newsflash to you. Every religion will tell you that you're going to die, right? There's a cheery thought on Easter morning, right? But only Christianity will tell you the solution, how, how to go from death to life eternal. Only Christianity can do that, and it's all because of this man, Jesus, and the way in which he was resurrected defeated death. Let's just be really clear about a resurrection. Resurrection means that Jesus lived, and then he died. And we were really clear on that at Good Friday. You make no mistake about it. Jesus died and was buried. And then on this day, the third day, he came back to life. That's not just like, you know, ah, I saw a light or I saw Elvis, right? I mean, that's like all the way back to life. And it's because of that you too can have the hope of eternal life. And all I want to do today is I want to talk about the hope that this offers to me and to you. You know, it's crazy if you think about it. People put their hope in all sorts of odd things, right? In fact, uh, people, every two years, there's an election cycle, and, and people will put their hope in a candidate or in a platform. Let me just ask you, how well is that working, right? 
Or maybe you'll put your hope in, in, you know, the capital markets, the New York Stock Exchange, or Silicon Valley Bank, right? And, and you feel like the rug just gets pulled out from underneath you. In fact, people will put their hope in, in even odd things, even things that seem hard to believe. My, my daughter lives in New Mexico, and uh, her and a girlfriend drove over to uh, Roswell, New Mexico. You might remember a really long time ago, in fact, 1947, uh, they believed that a uh, UFO crashed in Roswell and that aliens are still being kept there. She, says, she said to me, Dad, it is the strangest place I've ever been. All the people there are so weird. She's like, even the McDonald's is shaped like a UFO. Just crazy. We're hardwired to want to put our hope in something. And let me tell you, I, I think the greatest fear of people is, is that they get to the end of this life and there's nothing beyond this. And that's why we hope. In fact, if you find yourself even this morning thinking about what, what is life after this life, what is life after death look like for me? You're not alone. In fact, for literally thousands of years, ancient cultures have been trying to figure out and trying to prepare for the afterlife. In fact, it's really well documented that in ancient cultures, they would often bury with the deceased person all sorts of things that they thought might be necessary for this person in the afterlife. I'll give you a few examples. Uh, one is um, really the pharaohs in Egypt. This is the uh, Great Pyramids of Giza, and they've been excavating these, and they found that for Pharaoh Khufu, 4,500 years ago, he was buried with all these things like toiletries, literally toilet paper, and uh, equipment, and food, and slaves, and wives to keep him company. More recently, in China, they discovered this. They discovered this terracotta army, 8,000 life-size soldiers that were buried with the emperor of China in case he needed an army in the underworld. He would be well-prepared. Another guy you probably know of, Frank Sinatra, more in our time, you know, old blue eyes, the guy that did it his way, right? He had his, his dying request that he would be buried with a flask of Jack Daniels, cigarettes, and a lighter, you know? He did it his way, right? And then probably a guy you don't know of, a guy by the name of George Swanson, bought up 25 burial plots in his hometown in Pennsylvania. Seems as though he wanted to be buried with his 1984 Corvette. Bury the whole thing. I guess he didn't want it to go to the kids, right? Well, he bought up those lots, and then after he died, the cemetery company uh, wouldn't do it for him, and they said, no, we're not going to bury you in your Corvette. So one of the kids got the car anyways. But then we come to Jesus, and this is what's so fascinating, because when you look at Jesus, Jesus is not famous for where he was buried or what he was buried with. In fact, Jesus is famous because he's not there. In fact, Jesus, the place they laid him, I mean, the tomb, it would have been more like a Motel 6. He spent a couple of nights and then checked out, literally. And this is what gives us hope. This is why our lives can matter too, that we can experience this resurrection into life eternal with our God. Now, I get it. I've been doing this for a long, long time. And I know when you come to the topic of the resurrection, for some people, this is just really hard to believe. In fact, I hear it all the time. I think this is maybe the hardest point for people to begin and initiate a journey with Jesus in faith. They just feel like, ah, I can't believe this, you know, and, and skepticism runs high around this particular area. 
And again, that's why I'm so glad you're here today. In fact, I want to talk today about one of the lesser-known Easter stories. And the reason I like this story is it talks about how hope can be delayed. Hope can be delayed in our lives and still show up. So to talk about this this morning, I'm going to be in the Gospel of John. If you've got a Bible, you're more than welcome to follow along. We're going to be in John chapter 20. If you're new here, all the words are going to be on the screen for you as well. But if you want to follow along in the Bible or in your favorite Bible app, John chapter 20 is where we're going to be. And you got to kind of play this back, but not all the way to Easter. you got to kind of walk it forward actually one week. Move forward one week from this day, Easter morning. Imagine what that would be like. There'd still be crosses standing out on the skull, out on Golgotha. And the mood around the town of Jerusalem would be a bit mixed. Because some people have actually seen the resurrected Jesus. In fact, the scriptures tell us that 500 people or more had seen Jesus alive. But not everybody. And this story is about one person who had to see it to believe it. John chapter 20 starting in verse 24. It says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Kind of interesting. Uh, this is the story of Thomas. And you might know Thomas, uh, he's more well-known as Doubting Thomas. History kind of tacks that onto his name. It's kind of interesting. The scriptures don't tack that onto his name. But did you notice the scriptures actually say something a little different about his name? Did you notice that? It says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus. Why has the guy got two first names, right? Like, what's up with that? Well, it's kind of interesting. You kind of peel back the layers, and you realize that Thomas is an Aramaic word. It's the word tome, and that word means twin. Didymus is a Greek word, and in Greek, Didymus means twin. The author is being really clear. He wants there to be no mistake about it. Thomas, also known as Didymus, is a twin. And we get all excited. I can see smiles on your faces. You just hear the word twin, and you get all excited. In fact, uh, my wife, Sean, and I, uh, we, we got five beautiful kids. Our babies are all grown up, though. But when we were young, we really thought it would be fun to have twins, right? Like, we wanted a big family. Let's have twins. It runs in our family. And we thought that'd be great. You know, what were we thinking, right? You know, like, double the trouble, double the diapers, double the deduction. You know, it sounded kind of good to me back then. But we never had twins. And I think we romanticize it today. In the ancient world, it wouldn't have been that feeling at all. In fact, twins were considered not to be a blessing. They were much more of a burden. Again, you're in an ancient world where medicine isn't advanced. Childbirth would have been dangerous. Childbirth of twins would have been incredibly dangerous. And so in that day, twins were kind of seen as a bad omen. And in the way a family structure worked, everything was about the firstborn. Uh, The firstborn kind of got like everything their way, literally. Like they got the family name, they received the birthright and the blessing. That was sort of like getting a double portion of the inheritance back in that day. And if you were the second born, you were sort of like an afterthought and kind of considered to be unwanted. Very often, the second born, the twin, 
was discarded or just left to die in exposure. If the second twin was even kept at all, it was likely made as sort of a family slave. And it was not uncommon in that day to say, well, the firstborn gets the special family name, and the second one, ah, we'll just call it Thomas or Didymus or twin. I kind of date myself with this. There were some characters in a really old TV show where one of the characters was named Larry, and he had a brother named Daryl, and his other brother named Daryl. It's kind of like that. Not a lot of value. I'm kind of out in my own interpretation on this next part, but I have to imagine that Thomas growing up in that setting maybe had a family that didn't really want him. Maybe they discarded him. Maybe they didn't ascribe a whole lot of value to his life. I can only imagine a person growing up in that environment might kind of be a little wounded from that. Maybe carry some scars. Hey, let's be honest, we probably, we probably all have some baggage. Imagine the amount of baggage that this man, Thomas Didymus, carried. And everywhere he goes, he gets reminded that he's Thomas, also known as Didymus. And maybe this explains why he tends to be one of the more pessimistic of all the disciples. In fact, there's another place in Scripture before this where Jesus is telling the disciples that they have to go back through a particular region in Judea, and all the disciples groan because they don't want to go back that way because the people there wanted to kill Jesus. Why would you want to go back that way? And they kind of, you know, put up a little argument, but it's Thomas that speaks up, and he says this to Jesus. John chapter 11, verse 16, it says, Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, there it is again, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Let me kind of ask you, how's this rank on the pep rally scale, right? Like, like this is a good halftime speech, coach, right? I mean, just not very inspiring. I think it's no stretch to say that hope died a long time ago for Thomas. And then he started following Jesus. He actually followed Jesus for three years of his life. And, and I don't know, maybe that glimmer of hope came back. Maybe as he watched Jesus perform miracles and, and show mercy and compassion to people that honestly would be hard to love. Maybe heart, hope started to grow again in Thomas. And then he watches on Good Friday how they beat and flog Jesus and then nail him to a cross. He watches them take his body down and bury the man in a tomb. That's the last time Thomas has seen Jesus. Hope died for him. Imagine some of you here this morning might feel that way as well. You might feel as though hope has died. You had hoped things would get better in your life, and it feels as though that hope is slipping. You maybe hope that you would retire by now, and you got to get up tomorrow and go to work. Maybe you had hoped you'd feel better, and you're still dealing with the sickness. Maybe you had hoped, but you still feel like a failure. You had hoped, but you've still got this addiction or this habit that keeps roaring back. I want you to know Thomas had all these feelings as well. And I believe it's when Thomas is at his lowest in this story that we read these next words. Some time has passed. Picking back up in verse 26. It says, a week later his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting 
and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I actually have a lot of sympathy for Thomas. I can't imagine how hard this must have been for him. I mean, everyone, all his friends have seen Jesus. He's the only one. And in some ways, I think he's just trying to keep it real, right? I mean, dead people stay dead unless I see the marks and touch the side. I I can't believe. And I want to tell you this morning, be really careful what you wish for. Because while God is never late and seldom early, God is always on his time. And you got to imagine this scene, because if you really kind of put yourself in what these disciples were feeling, it would have been incredibly fearful in those days following the resurrection, right? I mean, I mean, the Romans just killed Jesus, so they thought. And now they can't find his body? I mean, any guard, they, they'd have a bounty on Jesus' life. If they find him again, it'd be no skin off their back to put him back on the cross. They would love to do that. Not only to crucify Jesus again, but they'd be happy to kill any, any of his followers, anyone who claimed to follow Jesus. So they're not just like hanging out together. They're sort of like, hunkered down in a room, right? Like all these disciples, I imagine them kind of like low to the ground, lights are low, you know, they're kind of being really quiet, don't move too fast, you know, we're, we're kind of in hiding here. And then you see what Jesus does. Some people don't think the Bible is very funny. I, I think the Bible is hilarious if you actually understand what's going on because look what Jesus does. All these guys just like hunkered down low and you see these words, Jesus kind of kind of like walks through the walls, shows up in their presence, and he says, peace be with you. And did you notice there's an exclamation at the end of that sentence? Like, I think Jesus got a little bit of like, like, I'm going to like startle them into next week. You know, like, boom, gotcha, right? And you see the word peace, and you think, no, 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 Ron, that means like, like easy days, you know, listening to jazz music, drinking herbal tea. And Fascinating, this word peace is actually an unusual word in the Greek language. It's the word Irene, and it has this element of surprise. You want to know what it means? It means more like, ta-da, or booyah, gotcha, right? Like, Jesus is just crushing it in this moment. He's just like, he's probably having fun. Like, look at what I get to do to my followers. And I think he's doing this way more than to just get a startle out of Thomas, I think what he's doing is he's saying to Thomas, hey, look, Thomas, all your life you've been devalued. You've been kind of left to survive on your own. No one's ever thought very highly of you. I'm going to come and I'm going to give you exactly what you want, proof and evidence that you cannot deny me. I I didn't do this for just any one person, but I'm doing this just for you. And then he says these words. He says, stop doubting and believe. I wonder how many of you this morning that that God is whispering those same words to you today, to stop doubting and to believe. He's saying to Thomas, I am the most real thing you will ever experience. Go ahead, touch where the nails were. Reach into the side where the spear was. And Thomas goes from the greatest doubter in all of human history to the greatest believer. And he says the words, my Lord in my God. Now that's hope, right? It's delayed, it's late, but it's hope. And it's, it's more than hope, it's personal. It's his hope in God. I, I gotta tell you, friends, this is one of the um, 
greatest opportunities to move in the direction from doubt towards Jesus in faith. It's one of the greatest opportunities that ever existed for us, to move from doubt to hope. And I'll tell you, there's so many things that can create doubt. In fact, I look around our world today, and and it saddens me how many things just bring about doubt in human life. There was a a really good article that just came out a week ago, and it's been kind of shared among my peer group. It was in the Wall Street Journal. And it was a really reputable survey that looked over the last 25 years how all these things are in massive decline. Things like patriotism at a 25-year low. That kind of hit me hard. I got three kids serving in the military. I got two in the Air Force. I got one in the Coast Guard. I mean, we, got you, we fly the flag in our house. We got you covered from Homeland Security to Department of Defense. Like, so proud of my kids that serve. And yet, patriotism, 25-year low. Other things are at a low, like family. I mean, even agreement on the definition of family is confusing for people. It's at a 25-year low. Faith, 25-year low. You want to know the only thing that's risen over the last 25 years in the American mindset? I'll tell you what it is. It's the pursuit of money. That's the only thing that's gone up over the last 25 years. There's so much doubt in our environment today. And I know how that works. When everything else seems to be trending, doubtful, you come to the topic of faith and you think, well, what's the point? What's what's the reason? And I want to tell you, that's what hope delivers. I've been a student of people for a long time, and I don't think these are all the classifications, but I've been kind of categorizing why people would doubt. And I've come up with sort of three reasons why people doubt. I think for some people, it's just simply this huge label of nonsense. Faith is nonsense. And they'll go as far as to say, well, faith is illogical. This whole thing proves it, right? Dead people stay dead. It just doesn't make any sense. Haven't we evolved? Haven't we come further than that? For some, it's just the issue of nonsense. A really smart guy by the name of C.S. Lewis had a, had a response to that. Uh, he called it chronological snobbery. And he said, just because you came along further in the timeline of history doesn't mean you're better than all those people before you. But I get it. For some, doubt, it's just because it's nonsense. For others, it's this issue of the, kind of like the receptors in their brain just being so flooded with pain. I mean, the world is a harsh place, and we've been looking over the last few months at how creation groans and how our own lives groan against all this pain and suffering. And for some, it's just too much to move from from doubt to faith because they just feel like, why would God, how could a good God exist when there's so much suffering, when I feel so much suffering, or I see my family go through so much? Why would God do that to my loved one, to my mom? And for some, that just becomes insurmountable. For others, it's what I would call just kind of this this issue of control. That for some, to move from doubt to faith, for them, would mean, well, I'd have to give up control. And I don't really want to give up control. And I'll tell you this morning that control is, is very illusionary. We think we have control, and in reality, we don't have very much control. In fact, to kind of prove my point, um, when my kids were littler and we would take long road trips there would always be this issue. You know how kids are, right? They sit in the back seat of the car, and kids very quickly define their geography. This is my kingdom. This is your kingdom. This line, there's no Switzerland. Do not cross this line, right? And sure enough, what happens when you're on a road trip with two kids in the back seat? 
Eventually, one of the kids wants to push the borders of their kingdom, and they reach across to the other side. And what happens? A fight breaks out. Now dad's got to get involved, right? And I think it's sort of like pre-programmed into a dad, uh, the response that they have. Because there's kind of an immediate response. You don't even have to think about this. Every dad in the room knows this. When the kids in the back seat start fighting, they just instinctively say, do you want me to come back there? And the kids love that. They're like, oh, bring it on, dad. You know, you're driving 70 miles down the road, so dad has a secret weapon. He sends back Mr. Hand, right? As soon as Mr. Hand goes back, they retreat to the corners of their kingdom. I'll give you a little pro tip, a little dad tip I've learned. All you got to do to get them back into play, just a little tap on the brakes. Brings them right back into play. <laughs> Thy kingdom come, right? I tell you, we're all like those little kids in the back seat, though. Because we go through life defining our kingdom and our space. And then our Heavenly Father taps the brakes on life. And it brings back this reality, this illusion of control. I want to give you a better way to live this morning. Better than doubt is to move towards faith. And the, the path of doing that is the word surrender. That's what you see Thomas do here. He surrenders. He says, okay, no more doubt. You got me. And he begins to say these words, my Lord and my God. And when you say those words, those bring you into this relationship with Jesus who will walk with you through all these difficult and and these things that are hard to understand and painful and feel like you need to take control. You can continue to just give it over to him and surrender your control. And that's the life I want to offer you this morning. In fact, another pastor came along about 20 or 30 years after this very first Easter and He was doing what I was doing. He was trying to explain to his church how this way of life, moving from doubt to faith, to going through this pathway of surrender is so much better. And he kind of like, he had a hard time sort of like using the right words to get his church to understand how much better it is on the faith side of life. And so this writer, this guy by the name of Paul wrote uh, what I think is one of the greatest prayers and maybe one of the greatest run-on sentences in all of human history. It's found in uh, Ephesians chapter 3. He says these words. He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to bring him glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever can I get an amen. That's the hope immeasurably more. That's what's available in your life. His power inside of you, bringing you from death to life. I got to tell you, one of the the greatest joys in my life is seeing people take that step and moving down that direction. Some people, they take take really big steps. Other people, they take little micro steps, and they, they all add up over time. And I just love seeing that. I get to see that in the church all the time. Sometimes I just randomly get to witness it. God kind of surprises me with these steps of faith that I see in people. A number of years ago, my family and I were on vacation in Florida, and we, on a Sunday morning, went to a little chapel, just this little chapel. And it was so quaint, and it was full of people twice my age. And we were hanging out and just enjoying the service. And at the end of the service... The pastor got up and he said, you know, we're not normally the type of church that takes requests unless today is your 97th birthday. And this little old lady who had a motorized cart rode up to the front of the chapel and she told the pianist to play her favorite song 
Jesus is coming again. And I watched this lady. I was about two rows behind her in her little motorized cart. 97 years old. There was a lot of life left in this lady. And she's singing, and I'm watching her, and I'm just thinking, man, what this, what this woman has seen in her life, right? I mean, 97 years. I mean, she's, she's seen wars and recessions and booms and busts, and, and yet in all of that, she's still singing to her God. I'm like, 97? She's going to go be with Jesus soon, right? Like, like that's going to happen next. And I just thought about it all that week, and then towards the end of the week, I saw her motorized cart at the little, at the pool that my family was playing at, and I went and sat back, I sat down by her and just began to talk to her about how I was so moved by her worship. And she was just telling me again how she loved that song, Jesus is Coming Again. She said, that was my favorite song since I was eight years old. Here I'm thinking, I can't remember what I did eight days ago. This lady is thinking back like 80 years of her life. And then she just started to sing the song again, just this worship in her own heart. Jesus is coming again. All of earth and heaven proclaim, coming again, coming again. Jesus is coming again. I got to tell you, friends, that's hope. That's the hope that's real. And the death-defeated Jesus Christ offers to every single person. I want to just ask you this morning as I wrap up my message, where do you need hope? Where do you need hope today, this Easter, the hope of God doing immeasurably more in your life, in your family, in your marriage? Because he can do that. God loves to do that. He loves to surprise you, sneak up on you when you least expect it, and to show you his love and his grace to give you assurance and answers to your prayers and comfort to your pain, to bring you closer. Maybe there's a wedge, a disagreement between you and another person. God loves to do that, loves to remove those wedges and bring people and families together. Let me tell you what else, what hope can do. Hope can lift you up out of the muck and the mire of depression and anxiety and fear culture. This hope can give you freedom from your chains of addiction. This is the hope that welcomes you home if you come running back as a prodigal son or daughter God loves to do that, and this hope is only available through the death defeater, through Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite Eli and the team to come up, and we're going to sing some more songs about this resurrected Savior, Jesus, and we just wanted to give you some time to just, in your heart and in your mind, to make this Easter the best Easter that you could ever have between you and God, and I just want to pray for you in this moment. And so if you would bow your heads, and if you would pray with me, please. God, I just pause in this moment and I just tell you, I'm just filled with just thankfulness, Lord, that you would move in human history in such a miraculous way that you've even figured out death. And that solution is by defeating all of death for all time and by giving us an opportunity to step in faith, away from doubt, down this path of surrender to a life of following and chasing after you, God. God, I don't know what that means here in this room to every individual, but I know what it means in my life. I know what it means to experience that salvation and that walk with you. And man, I just, I want that for every person here today. God, you want that for every person here. And so if that's you today, and maybe it's been a long time since you've even thought about God or thought about Jesus or thought about even life after this one, I want to give you an opportunity to grab a hold of hope 
to make this hope not delayed, but to make it your hope, to receive it in your heart. I wanna lead you in a very simple prayer. It may seem too simple for some of you. Don't let that confuse you. Just simply say, Jesus, I give you my life. That's it. Jesus, I give you my life, and in return, you promise to give me life. Life here and now and life into eternity. The assurance of a walk with you from here forward. If that's you this morning, then you are welcome. You are united with him in heaven and now. And you move from death to life. God, I want to thank you. We're going to sing to you now with hearts that are so full and so ready to worship. We love you and we praise you. And everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the Sermon Discussion Guide.